This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing, and I'm your host, J. Scott. I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. We have a great show for you guys today. We actually have Mr. Billy Yargus from New London, Missouri, who just recently won the 2015 NWTF Grand National Champion in the Senior Division. And actually, this next audio clip you're about to hear is actually his championship run uh, that won him the title. He's a previous Grand National Champion in 2008, but this is his 2015 run. This audio is taken from a friend of mine's website, uh, callingallturkeys.com. Shane Simpson, it's a phenomenal resource for you turkey hunters, callingallturkeys.com. Uh, you can go on there, and, and uh, he's, he's got all the calling contests under the YouTube. This is the audio off of the YouTube, and the actual audio is much, much better on Shane's uh, website, callingallturkeys.com. Uh, but this is his winning run. I wanted you guys to hear uh, the feedback from the judges, uh, one of which was Chris Paris, and the other one was Brad Taylor of Treetop Turkeys, which I'm also... Uh, I love his stuff and have his uh, DVDs of all the natural turkey sounds. Um, this is Billy's uh, run that he wins the Grand Nationals. And uh, I wanted you to hear the cadence of, of his calling and, and go to the real YouTube um, uh, clip on Shane Simpson's site and you'll, you'll get the best audio. But I wanted you to hear uh, Michael Waddell uh, introducing and... Uh, uh, You'll hear uh, the uh, comments from the judges, and it's uh, it's a real special uh, moment here. And then we'll get to hear from uh, Billy Yargus himself. So uh, enjoy this clip. Yorgos, our next call that we want to hear is the cutting of an excited hen turkey. Next call is the cluck and purr. 
Our next call is the Kiki Run. Our next and last call is the plane yup of the hen. That's Billy August from New London, Missouri. A past Grand National Champion. Definitely want to get a few words from Billy right here. And one thing right off, Billy, that I heard when you started your call sequence off with your tree call, first of all, I was really impressed with it. But one thing I noticed that you did that some of the other callers didn't, you gave the judges a variety of different yips that I noticed. You gave them that raindrop yip as well as just that solid tone that you hear a do sometimes. I know a lot of callers do. What what do you think? In my opinion, there's a certain ad lib to that, and I thought you nailed it, but what do you try to do when you're trying to impress those judges when it comes to maybe a little extra and give them some versatility? Is that something that you usually put in your routine? Well, I try to. Sometimes that's pretty difficult. You never know what the judges are thinking because it, it is opinionated what they have seen. I mean, I've sat any tens in, in trees before, and they are, are looking around and they begin to look down and they're, and they're doing those little soft clucks and they'll do a little yelp and, and then maybe another turkey answers them and they might bring the volume up, you know, just to be able to reach out there and talk to that other bird, so. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to do. Some man right there that's heard a bunch of turkeys. He's been right there on them and I know, Billy, you always love to hunt turkeys as well as compete. You've always done well at it. But again, you're from Missouri and one of the toughest critics is going to be your buddy right here, Chris Parrish, who is also Missouri, as you know, there's a lot of good turkey calls from Missouri. But what did you think of your brother right here from Missouri, Chris? Well, Billy and I go way back because uh, I'll say this, the, the uh, student has become the teacher. I remember Billy coming to my shop years ago, and I sat and worked with him on calls, so we've had a lot of history together. He started beating me really bad, and that's kind of why I quit anyway. So. <laughs> um, you know, I can't, I don't have anything bad to say. I'm going to say this. In this room, for some re reason, the cutting is not as crisp as I know it is if I was standing right next to you. Overall, one of the best runs I've ever heard you have, absolutely spot on. Cluck and purr was, was scary. Your tree call, I, I was sitting here with little shivers going down my spine, so awesome job. Thank you. That's awesome. Brad, what did you think? Bill, great job. Uh, again, the, the cluck and purr was very strong. The tree call was probably my favorite because I'm really a big fan of any, any kind of tree call where you can really just visualize that turkey sitting there. 
the cutting I, I really liked. I could I could almost see that old hen tail feather just flipping when she was when she was really getting to that call. So that, that was an awesome job. I really enjoyed it so much. The yelp was good, but I could just sit there and listen to that cutting the whole way through. So great job. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a real special guest. We have Billy Yargis from New London, Missouri. Uh, Billy actually just won the Grand National Senior Open Championship at the National Wild Turkey Federation in Nashville. I was fortunate to be there and watch him win the contest. Uh, he He's won numerous other titles. Uh, this guy has basically won all kinds of contests, state calling contests, a national calling contest. He's won the Grand Nationals, the Senior Open Division in 2008 and 2015, and has one of the sweetest yelps I've ever heard. Uh, Billy, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Jay? Oh, doing just fine. How did it feel to win after uh, being winning the Grand Nationals in 2008 and then winning seven years later? How did that feel? It felt great. Very, very, very blessed. I felt like uh, God was really was really blessing me that day. It was just as exciting winning, winning it the second time as it was the first time. You know, um, I was there uh, before the contest kicked off, and I thought one of the things that was interesting is I saw you a couple times um, just practicing before the contest, and you seemed to be, you kind of walked around the front part of the room. It, it almost was as if you were trying to just um, get in the zone and, and, and hear how the call was bouncing off the room and such. Do you do that more for just to calm your nerves, or is that, uh, what what part of preparation is that? Well, as far as doing that, I try to get as close to the stage as I can, and possibly even on the stage if they'll allow it, because the more people you get into the room, the acoustics will change a little bit. So I try to get as close to that stage as I can and be able to hear my call and see how much I'm going to be able to hear it. So when I get up there, I have no surprises, you know. I know exactly what it's going to sound like at that time. Sure. And how much of that is you catching the, the reverberation back in your own ear so you can be making sure you're making the right sounds? How how much of it is what you can actually hear? That's a, that's a big thing. You always want to be able to hear your call. When you go into the woods, the acoustics in the woods, of course, is the very best that you can get because that's where you're listening to the turkeys all the time. But a lot of times you'll go to a calling contest in some of the smaller rooms. You may have to back off of a little bit of the air pressure because you can really blow the judges out because your call is so loud. But then when you get in a bigger room, you may have to really push that call and get all the sound that you can possibly get to get a little bit of feedback in the ear and know that you're you're doing exactly what you're wanting to do with that. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, Billy, how long have you been actually competitively turkey calling? How many years or roughly how many? Well, I, I turkey hunted for 18 years before I ever went to my first calling contest and called in it. In 1996, I called in my very first contest in Ironton, Missouri. Now, I went to one that year and called in, and I did go to a few others and watch, like the Grand Nationals, the Mid-America Open, and some of those, and I was getting some information, you know, trying to get some wisdom on what I needed to do. I felt like I had a really good yelp, but I, I realized at that point in time I needed to work on a lot of stuff because as much as I could fool a turkey, trying to impress those judges, you had to sound exactly like a turkey. Yeah, and how much, you know, with the 18 years of experience of turkey hunting before actually calling in the contest, I mean, 
pretty safe to say that you were knocking down turkeys left and right. And is there a big difference in the way you call now and say the way you called prior when, and I'm talking in the woods, which are you just as good as you were in the woods or now that you're a competitive turkey caller and have won all these titles, do you, do you feel like you're that much better? I, I can't really say that I'm that much better. Uh, as far as there's a lot to play in the woodsmanship and how much scouting you do and stuff like that, and really to know the turkey. And I felt like I'd already accomplished that. But being a better caller uh, used to be that I would I would shut up. When I had the turkey coming to me and everything was going my way, I would shut up as long as the turkey was coming. And that's not a bad thing. Even now, I still sometimes do that. But more so now than ever, I'll keep calling that turkey uh, maybe just turn and clucking or real, real soft stuff. I'll keep calling to him all the way up until the point that I shoot him a lot of times. So it, does it almost become because you have, you're, let's say more confident in, in those soft calls and those finishing calls. Is it, is it a matter of you've killed enough turkeys that you just want to do it? You want to have them calling and coming the whole way that, you know, that that's part of the sport to you now is when you, when you actually are turkey hunting. Yeah, I feel like I've sound more realistic now than I did back then because of all the practice and going to the contest, you have to do a lot of practicing to do that. But to me, what I have learned about turkeys is you you give them more security when you continue to purr and cluck or do real soft stuff. That's more of a contented type thing that a turkey isn't real excited about anything. She's just there and, and uh, talking back and forth with other birds is, what, is my opinion. And it calms him down. Even when a gobbler comes in and he gets really alert, you know, I mean, he comes in and he sees something, but he's not, she's not spooked, but he doesn't really know what it is. So he's a little bit more alert. A lot of times you can start turning, clucking, and maybe give him a little soft yelp, what we would call a tree yelp in a contest, but give him that little soft yelp. And a lot of times it'll calm him right back down. I put him right back into a strut before and be able to hold him right there at the decoys or just hold him in your area if you're not using decoys and give you that opportunity to be able to get the shot off. You know, I've been watching some YouTube uh, videos, and I'm anytime a video that uh, has you actually calling in a contest or out in the field, I tend to watch it. I saw one this morning you were hunting, I believe, with Jason Cruz, and it looked like you had killed a bird in uh, Missouri. And one thing I, I wrote down in my notes, I did notice how soft it seemed like your calling was just very, very soft and just real turkey-like. Um, can you give me a little demonstration of just kind of content sounds that you make maybe when a bird's coming and you're just trying to keep them somewhat interested? Sure. I'll do a little purring and clucking, and I'll get through some plain yelps. And then I'll, what I'll do is I'll soften those yelps up to where it's almost more like a, more like a bird sitting on a tree limb early, early in the morning, first waking up. Great. By doing those calls, you can hold that bird in there a little bit longer and give you more of an opportunity to, to take that shot. Yeah, that that's awesome. Now, when you're purring, um, uh, which method do you use? Do you do you really flutter your tongue, or or how do you purr? Which what's your method of purring? 
it depends on what call I'm using. If I'm using a beat cut call or a bat wing type call, like in a contest, I do use a bat wing call that Mitchell Johnson uh, turned me on to that and made me a bat wing. I do a little double read that really purrs and clucks and does all the soft stuff. And I will flutter my tongue when I'm using that call. But what I just did a perm pluck on there was my, this is a hunting call that I use in the woods all the time. And I use it by gurgling the back of my throat, using a ugla in the back of your throat and yeah. just roll that, roll that over and give them some soft plucks. Okay. Uh, Billy, when you were, uh, when you were starting out uh, either turkey hunting and or in the calling contest, who would you say were your mentors, your turkey hunting mentors uh, growing up? As far as a turkey hunting mentor was uh, uh, Russell Robertson. That was a, a guy that lived right there in Hannibal, Missouri. He's the one that actually took me uh, under his wing. We started off squirrel hunting and then started turkey hunting together. And we did all the way up in, until the day that he passed away in 92. Uh, matter of fact, the day that he passed away, we had gone squirrel hunting that morning and it was in August of 92. Uh, as far as turkey calling or anything like that i'd have to say walter parrot was one that really stuck in my mind i went to a calling contest back in the early 80s maybe the mid 80s and i've been blowing calls for quite a while i've been turkey hunting and i've been killing turkeys but i always thought that i could tell somebody was on a mouth call you know even at a distance i could always tell mm -hmm. somebody was on a mouth call when i heard him yelp it sounded like a turkey it didn't sound like somebody on a mouth call and i was so impressed by that and i wanted that so bad and i began to work more and more and more on that mouth call and started listening to everything I could find, which wasn't much out there then, but cassette tapes or anything like that of turkeys or any time I heard Walter Parrott, I wanted to yelp like Walter Parrott back then. But one of my, uh, one of the people that helped me probably more than anybody in the contest calling would be Chris Parrott. He showed me how to build turkey calls and got me on the right track as far as calling contests and what the differences was in impressing judges more so than turkeys. Turkeys are way more forgiving than judges are. Sure, sure. It, it was uh, it was really cool in the new format at the NWTF, um, you know, having Chris up there a, as a judge and having him, you know, talk to you. I think he specifically said that the student has become the teacher when he, you know, it happened to be his turn when it, when the critique was there. And I thought that was that was really cool that he said that because like you, uh, you know, I've admired him for years and he, he's, you know, obviously an incredible turkey caller. And uh, how did that feel to have him say that to you? Because that was a that was a pretty poignant moment, I thought. It, it was. I mean, yeah, something like that uh, might even tear you up, you know, when they say things like that, especially coming from Chris. Chris is a very, very talented caller, as you said. And, and, uh, and I turkey hunted some with Chris and we've been friends now for, for several years. And to have somebody like that say that about me, it, it, it meant a lot to me. I'll never forget it. I can tell you that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's uh let's talk about, um, let's say you're on your home farm or, you know, around, around home where you feel most comfortable turkey hunting and, Let's say that, you know, the season is, you know, two or three days out. What are you doing the couple nights before uh, to, to, to roost birds and to figure out where they're at? And, and then walk me through all the way, maybe even the day before the season. So, 
So the night before the season specifically, do you, do you get in even a tighter? Or tell me about roosting turkeys. As far as roosting turkeys in the evening, what I like to do is I like to go out and uh, I might hoot or blow a crow call just to get one to sound off. And I'll try to get in a little bit tighter on him since it's a place around home. I got a pretty good feeling where most of the birds like to roost at and where I usually like would like to set up to be able to call that bird to me. If I can possibly do it, I'll get in right where I'm planning on setting, and I'll wait, and I'll just listen and wait for the birds to fly up, and I don't call to them too much while they're on the ground. I don't want them to come in to me. But once I believe that they're up in the trees, I'll start off by uh, doing some very, very soft yelps and what I'll actually do is do a fly-up cackle. And there's a fly-down cackle, and there's a fly-up cackle. And the fly-up cackle is a very, very excited call. When a hen leaves the ground and she she goes up, and I'll also use my hat or use a, a turkey wing to try to deceive that turkey into believing that there's an actual real-life hen just flew up in that area. What that's going to do for you in the morning, realistically, you probably wouldn't even have to call. Once that's been on his mind all night long, I guarantee you he's going to be ready as soon as you hit your call the next morning and give him any kind of an indication that you're still there. He'll fly down and he'll come right to you most of the time. So, Billy, you you, you do the fly-up cackle. You make it sound like a hen is right there. You're excited. He gobble, 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 you know, he gobble, gobble, gobble at you, and then you just sit there until it's pitch black dark, and then you sneak out, and then the next morning you come right back to that spot. Yes, I come right back to the exact same spot where I last called at, and I get set up before it gets daylight, and then just mainly do do soft stuff. Anybody will tell you if they hunt with me very much, uh, I do like to call. I like to talk and like to have that conversation with that turkey uh, all the time, a lot of times nonstop, but there are times that I'll back off and, and just sit there and wait and see what he's going to do. If he has hens with him, a lot of times you got to call that hen and get get her attention. Once you get that done, you get her to come to you. Uh, he'll be there in just a little bit. So let's let's take that same scenario. So you've now you've snuck in and and tell me how close how close is this that you've snuck in and and done your fly up um, uh, cackle? Is it like uh, fifty yards or a hundred yards or what? What's kind of your bread and butter there? Most generally, I mean, I'll get as close as I can as long as they can't see me. But um, most generally, it's somewhere between 80 and 100 yards because if you get much closer than that, you're, there's a good chance you'll get busted. Now, I'm not going to – I'm going to tell you right now that if I'm having trouble killing a turkey and I go out and roost a bird the night before, a lot of times I'll try to get in. I'll try to push into that 50, 60-yard mark when he flies down. I mean, he, he don't have very far to go before I can go ahead and take that shot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that, that, that brings up a point that I want to ask you about a turkey having a memory. So what you're saying is he's remembering that hen that flew up there. I've always thought that turkeys had a real short-term memory. In the same regard, if you happen to get too close to a turkey that you roost and you know that he saw you, but he didn't fly out, they didn't fly out of the trees, would those be birds that maybe you might not even go even mess with, but you're pretty confident they saw you? Would you? Would you? Does that mean that they'll obviously know that if you go in there and make a one mistake in the morning, they know it's a human? Well, I, I can tell you, every bird's different. 
I believe that there are some birds, especially the birds that have been hunted quite a bit and they've had enough experience with that, uh, like on public ground, I would probably leave and go somewhere else. I was hunting some uh, private ground in Canton, Missouri. Oh, it's been probably five, six years ago. And it was, it was absolutely crazy. But this bird, a friend of mine had been hunting and, uh, I think they hunted him about three different days, and he had hens with him. They couldn't get him to come in, and he took me into this place. And I'd hunted it. I mean, this is the art one of our one of my places to hunt too. But the way he took me in there, the bird roosted in a different spot. So we're trying to get into him. We actually walked within ten yards of this bird. He never made a sound, and we go across a, a creek and get about 150 yards from him, and all of a sudden he gobbles, and he's right back where we just came from. We walked back and was trying to get set up, and while I was setting out a decoy in the edge of a field, I looked up, and there he was. He wasn't 50 yards from us, but we're busted. And as soon as I looked at him, that bird knew that I looked at him. He turned, and he flew out over into, across the holler and over into another field. But just about the time he did that, I started hearing some hens uh, clucking and doing some tree yelping up the draw where we was at, right along that creek. And I told I told Chuck and David, I said, let's go up this creek and let's let's get rid of those hens. And we walked up that up that creek and we flushed those hens out away from the gobbler. And we went ahead uh-huh. and we got set up. And when I started calling, uh, I mean, this is something that can or cannot or may not work. But I started calling and that bird started answering immediately, started gobbling. And within 20 to 30 minutes, we had that bird right back up there to us and into the decoys. And and David ended up shooting him. And he was a nice. I mean, he was a three to four year old bird. So. I don't give up on them. Uh, yeah, I would have tried to make that setup, and if it wasn't working out within probably 40 minutes to an hour, then I'd have probably got up and went somewhere else. But you never know. I mean, I've spooked birds several times and end up falling right back in. They're still turkey, whether it's spring or it's fall. A lot of times when you when you do spook one, a lot of times they'll come back in within that 30 minutes to an hour. That's that's awesome. I'm sure that after your buddy had been hunting that bird for several days, and then you go in there in one morning and get right on you know and call them in i'm sure there was some bantering back and forth about how you just soldered in there and and put the hammer on them yeah especially after we spooked him too because he thought it was completely (laughs) over and to be honest with you i knew it was a pretty good chance that it was over at that point in time but yeah we uh yeah we had a lot of fun with that one (laughs) that's awesome yeah that's a great story um let's let's say mid-morning um and i'm not sure can you hunt uh turkeys in the afternoon in missouri or do you have to stop at noon no in missouri we have to, we got to one o'clock and then we have to stop okay let's say you're in a state that let's say you can hunt all day or you know for that matter but let's say you're you know you didn't do any good off the roost or whatever the birds went the other way and now let's say you're just completely roaming around just trying to strike a bird are you likely to, to, to hen call and yelp and cut some, or are you likely to just use locator call? What is your go-to strike a bird mid-morning or, say, mid-afternoon, if, you're, if you can hunt in an you know, afternoon state? Uh, what is your go-to strike a bird call? My go-to call on that is, is normally a, a box call. I will use my mouth call, but if, I'm out, if I don't feel like I'm – like you get in Texas and some of these places, you don't feel like your call's – reaching out far enough, I'll go to a box call, and I'll do some excited hen yelping and cutting. Um, like I said, I'll start out with my box call, but if I just don't feel like I'm I'm reaching out far enough, I will hit a box call, and sometimes do them simultaneously. I'll be cutting on a, on a box call and at the same time be yelping on my mouth call, 
and go back and forth and a lot of times draw a gobble out of a out of an old gobbler and be able to get set up on it so in that scenario if if say you know you were really getting after it and your buddy's with you and he says oh bird just gobbled at that point let's say they're pretty good ways off are you going to cut the half the distance or are you going to immediately just sit down and set up what what's your thoughts on that and actually depends on what state i'm in if i'm hunting rios or Merriam. I'm going to sell. I'm probably going to set up if I'm in a, if I feel like I'm in a really good area. Now, if I'm hunting Easterns, most of the time I'm going to try and cut, cut that distance at least in half and then maybe hit him again and see where he's at. A lot of times you have to be careful because he'll be right there on top of you and you're going to have to find a place quick to sit down. But reels and Merriams, uh, that doesn't bother them to come 300 yards to your column. So I, I usually try to find me a spot pretty quick and try to get set up and be ready for him. So how do you determine in that in that setup um and let's let's keep it in the Rios and Merriams. Let's say that you've struck a bird, he's off 300 yards, he's gobbling a little bit and you you're deciding that you're going to, you know, uh stay put. Do you how do you know if he's got hens or how do you know if he's a lone tom and how do you determine that or do you try and determine that right off the bat or do you just go into kind of a conversation? Well, I try to I try to keep that conversation going at that point in time, and a lot of times uh, a hen will finally speak up. Now there are times, especially when it, it starts to get hotter, a lot of times the gobbler will gobble at you more like I'm over here, and he don't doesn't really want to come to you, and the hens aren't very vocal, you know, when the when the temperature gets up there. But I will I will sit there for approximately 25 30 minutes and try to get a conversation going with him and try to keep it going. And if nothing's panning out and he continues to stay kind of in that same area, I'm going to, I'm going to think that there's, he's probably got hens with him and we need to get up and, and move closer. Then we'll try to find a way to get there. Because so many times I've had him come so fast that I want to set up immediately and feel that bird out. Like I said, a lot of times the hens will be vocal and call back to you. And if they will, you can get a conversation going with them. And one of the things I found that really works good uh, in the Western states is a kiki run on the hens. If I find a gobbler with hens, a lot of times I'll throw that kiki run in there. That seems to that seems to really work good on the Rios or the Marians, either one. Can you give me a, just a little sequence of of the scenario of you've struck a bird with your box and maybe your next little pieces of conversation? Can you give me a little kiki run? Give me a little hen yelp, but kind of how you would work it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, what I do, I'll do a little bit of an excited hen yelp, which is usually what I try to do to to get that bird fired up. And then, like if I would hear a hen call back to me, then what I might do is throw a kiki run at her and see how she responds to that. All right, let's hear it. basically what I usually do to try to get that hen. I try to get the gobbler excited, but then when I when I hear that hen, I'll go back and maybe even throw a little kiki run at her like I'm lost, you know, I'm the only one here and I want you to want you to come and come and find me. And a lot of times that hen she'll 
she'll come a running and drag, drag that gobbler with her. So the Kiki run, um, in that in that regards, that's kind of a I'm a young hen, I'm lost, I need help over here, I kind of like some company. Can you come over and find me? Basically, I think uh, yeah. Whenever they, I always like to more or less try to have a call that's a little higher pitched, sounding like a younger hen. I feel as though the older hens they already know about the breeding, the whole breeding ritual. So if you can get a higher pitched call to call that gobbler, and he he realizes that you're a younger hen. A lot of times, I believe he'll come faster, knowing that you're uneducated. You don't you don't know about the breeding the breeding scenario. You know, you got excited because he gobbled, but a young hen may not realize what it's all about. So when you give him that young hen sound, uh, a lot of times I think they'll come a little bit easier than than that old hen, and that's just my opinion. Sure. No, it makes sense. Um... It makes total sense. Uh, going back to something else you said, do you always, in, in a roost setup in the morning, do you always want to be first hen on the ground, off the roost situation? Do you always want to be first on the ground? I actually like to be the first hen to make a sound. As soon as I hear him gobble, I may not do much, but I, I might just do some real soft clucks. I like to try to get his attention. I like to get him to turn towards me. I was hunting in Missouri with uh, with some friends of mine, a family uh, with the name Lay, Terry and Aaron. And, and uh, what we did is we got set up and we didn't realize that there was a gobbler so close to us, but I wanted to be the first hen. So it was raining that morning and it was real windy. And the first thing I did was start clucking real soft. And all of a sudden I heard one start drumming. Well, when we got to looking around, Aaron pointed out to me there was a gobbler within about 65, maybe 70 yards roosted right along the field. And we'd set up our decoys, but it was dark enough he didn't see us. When we got set up, this bird started drumming, and I started to plucking a little bit and doing some real soft tree helps to him. At one point in time, he had actually turned around on a limb. I'm sitting there watching him. He turned around on a limb, and I thought he was going to fly out the other direction. And I believe that's the direction he wanted to go. Well, I livened it up just a touch, just giving some a little bit louder yelps and kept trying to use my hand to throw that call out to those decoys as much as possible. And I and I actually watched him turn back around on the lamb and start watching down there in that field. And he picks right down with them probably 50 yards and comes strutting right into us then. That's awesome. That is a great example right there. So, I mean, you're definitely – what I would consider that's pretty aggressive because uh, I've always been told that, you know, you want to kind of be a little more subdued at the roost. You kind of are the opposite. You want to take control of the situation. Is I mean, is that is that kind of your attitude that it, it's like, hey, if you're going to if they're going to come, they're going to come to me. And if not, we'll go find a bird that's going to you know work. Is that kind of the way you 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 do it? That's the way I approach it. Yes, I approach it to where I want to see what this bird is going to do, and I want to try and get him uh, coming coming in my direction. The whole thing that we're doing is we're trying to deceive that turkey. Even though we might, might weigh close to 200 pounds, six foot tall, and setting up against a tree out in the middle of the woods, we are trying to make him believe that we're actually a six or eight pound hen setting up in a tree, and then we've just flown down. Now, when that bird can see me, I don't, I don't use my wing to do a fly down. I may do a fly down tackle. But I won't use my wing. But if I know that bird can't see me, I'll actually use a use a wing. And sometimes I'll do 
the wing beats of the turkey flying down two or three different times trying to get those, you know, trying to get that bird to realize, hey, there's two or three birds over there. And that's all we're doing. We're trying to deceive him. We're turning everything around backwards because the hens are supposed to go to the gobbler. We need to deceive him enough to get him excited. Now, you get him excited enough, he'll come into you and uh, get it turned around backwards. I mean, you can get him to play your game. That's awesome. When uh, when you're using your wing beats, I mean, is, is it safe to say you have a, a wing with you all the time in the field? You always have one in the field with you? I always do, whether I'm trying to do a fly-down cackle or, or maybe sometimes I'll use it just to scratch in the leaves a little bit so I get a little lighter touch, you know, on those leaves. I can do it with those wings. And the other thing I use it for is like a fighting purr. If I'm trying to get a gobbler jealous and trying to get him drawn in that way, uh, because nothing else seems to be working. You can do that fight. Now, the whole thing is the same way with rattling for deer. I mean, there's times that a, a deer will, will get scared and turn around and run the other direction. I've actually seen turkeys do that. When you put on that fight, I've seen them run the other direction. But uh, there's a you got a 50-50 chance that you're going to get him jealous enough, especially if he's the dominant bird. I've had them run to me as fast as they can, nonstop gobbling, trying to gobble and trying to run and do all that all at one time as <laughs> they run to you. So it's pretty crazy when they do that. It is, I mean, without a, even blowing a call, could a lot of times you just use the wing and get them to come to you just by what you do with your wing? Let's, I mean, could you, with no calling at all, just using your wing, could, a, could you call them in a lot of times? I believe a lot of times that you could. I believe by uh, by doing that flight. Matter of fact, Randy Smith, uh, a guy I used to do quite a bit of hunting with, uh, he he did that quite a bit. Never made a sound with a turkey call. He would take that wing and and he would get within 50, 60 yards of, the, of a bird that was hard to kill, and he would go in and that would be all he would do. He'd do one fly down and he'd take that wing and start scratching in the leaves. And next thing you know, that bird would pitch right down and come walking right straight up there. The head stuck straight in the air trying to, trying to locate that hen. So, yeah. And even with the fight, uh, you know, two turkeys started to flog one another. And maybe they, maybe they aren't really getting into it real aggressive, so they're not doing aggressive burn. If you had the right rhythms, and that's a big thing, when you're doing fly down, getting the right rhythms, or when you're doing a little fight to get the right rhythms, or whether you're scratching in the leaves. You need to watch turkeys and figure out their rhythm, you know, of how they do that. If you can do that and be realistic, you can deceive him and bring him on in. Absolutely. That's a great tip. That's a that's an awesome tip. Um, here's a little bit of a question, a little off off the uh, just a kind of out, out of left field question. If, if you could hunt with any U, past U.S. president, where who would it be and where would you like to hunt for turkeys? Any past, any past U.S. president? Any past U.S. president. I would have to say probably the Ronald Reagan or uh, or Mr. Bush. And where would you like to hunt? That really wouldn't matter. Yeah, it <laughs> would be pretty Texas fun. To, great. <laughs> it would be fun to hunt with either one of those guys. Um, yeah, that that's a that's a that's a good answer. Um, Okay, one more that's a little in left field. If you could hunt with any um, celebrity, musician, or, you know, singer, or what have you, who would it be? Oh, Blake Shelton? Oh, Blake, Blake Shelton. I, I just drew a blank when you asked me that. I think Blake Shelton would be a lot of fun to hunt with. He's always a crack-up. I think, I think we could have some fun. <laughs> he would be. Yeah, he's a pretty big guy. You'd have to have a pretty big tree for him to sit by. But, yeah, he yeah. would be a lot of fun. 
I think we put him in some mossy old camouflage. I think we could get it done. He'd look like a tree. <laughs> you, you've been wearing mossy oak for quite a while now, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I, I really like it. Uh, one of my favorite patterns with mossy oak. I don't know if it's it maybe not be the most popular, uh, you know, pattern that we have, but the, the bottom land. And if you set up against a tree with that bottom land on, you just blend in. And I've had turkeys walk so close with no brush in front of you at all. It's just it's unbelievable stuff. Of course, the obsession works really great, especially when it gets really greened up in the woods. But that bottom land seems to work no matter what. Whether you're, whether you got a lot of leaves on or whether you don't, the bottom land it just blends right into any tree that you set up against. Right on. Uh, what's the forecast looking like in Missouri? When's your season start, and um, h- how's it looking for this year? As far as Missouri, our season will open, I believe. Um, let's see. I believe it's April. 20th? Yeah, I believe it's April 20th is when our season opens up here in Missouri. Hopefully the weather will be good. We're going to take Don uh, Don Hardy. He's the man who lives in Rushville, Illinois. He hasn't killed a turkey, I guess, in a few years. He's Don went in for an operation, and he's come out in a wheelchair. It was just, a, I guess, a minor operation, and something went wrong, and, and Don's been in a wheelchair, so he's not as mobile like he used to be. He's pretty mobile in that wheelchair, more than I would have figured, but we want to try and get him. We've got a real good roost spot. A friend of mine, Ralph Biedenbender, is uh, has got a place where they've been. They they winter turkeys there. They do a lot of feeding, and he gathers them in on this roost. Of course, he'll quit feeding them, you know, as a as it starts to warm up before turkey season, a couple three weeks ahead of time. But those birds seem to stay in there and, and roost there for quite a while. So we want to get Don in there. We're going to film it for the NWTF too, and hopefully get him a bird in and get him killed. Oh, that's great. That's a that's awesome that you guys are doing that. Um, and then uh, you've got some other plans to to hunt um, Missouri and some other states. You got other things going on this spring? Yeah, there's always plenty plenty going on here in Missouri. I take friends out all the time. I do a little bit of guiding for Troublesome Creek Outfitters, and I might head over to Illinois to uh, Bighorn Outfitters. That's in Pike County, Illinois, and I do a little bit of guiding for those guys. And then I'm going to Kansas on the on the governor hunt. Uh, it's a, I think that's a down Laredo, Laredo. I think that's right. Is where it's at. And it and it'd be a, that'd be a great hunt. I always love hunting Kansas. The birds they seem to cooperate uh, really well out there when you're hunting reels or even those hybrids. And then the NWTF, uh, I believe, is going to take me to Montana to hunt some Merriam. So I'm going to be I'm going to be pretty busy. I believe. Busy guy. Well, that's awesome. Well, Billy, it's been awesome. I want to say, um, as a fellow believer in Jesus, uh, I, you know, in 2013 was the first time I went to the NWTF back in Nashville and I watched you and your, your intro music was, uh, Christian music. And then your intro music, uh, this year was Christian music. And that, uh, really resonated with me. And, uh, I just wanted to, uh, uh, pay tribute to the fact that uh, you're a fellow believer and uh, admire what you're doing. And uh, I understand you're on your way to a contest right now, so I want to wish you the best and uh, hope you have a great season and safe travels. And uh really appreciate you being here with us. Thank you, Jay. I really appreciate that. You know, without God, without his creation, we wouldn't be able to do any of these things that we do and enjoy so much. And he's uh, definitely blessed me in in more ways than one for sure absolutely well you 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 be safe and um 
Uh, have a great season, and, and uh, thanks for spending some time with us. God bless you, okay? God bless you. Take care. Wow, what an awesome opportunity to have a Grand National Champion, Senior Open Finals uh, winner talking to us on the phone, talking turkey, talking strategies and tactics. Uh, I just want to thank Billy Yargis uh, for coming on our show. I want to uh, wish him well. He's headed actually uh, to a contest right now. Um, he actually just pulled over on the side of the road for us uh, to talk to us. And I uh, uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening to his winning performance. And like I said, to hear the best audio of his calling uh, during that performance, you can go to callingallturkeys.com and search under contest and then go under 2015 Grand National Senior Open Finals. You can actually see the whole contest, uh, all the participants. And I just want to thank uh, you guys, our listeners, uh, for all the support that you've uh, given us. And if you like what you're hearing, uh, please go on iTunes and uh, give us your comments and your feedback. And uh, we could sure use some uh, five-star ratings. Uh, that helps us with iTunes. And uh, just uh, want to thank you guys for being so supportive and uh, we've got a lot of great stuff coming, and we've uh, already had a lot of great people on the show. And um, this uh, podcast uh, seems to really be taking shape, and uh, it's uh, only because of the great people that we've had on, on the show here. So continue to send your questions and your comments to uh, my email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, you can continue to follow jscottoutdoors.com, jscottoutdoors on YouTube, um, jscottoutdoors Facebook, and as well, uh, follow on Instagram, at jscottoutdoors. Until next time, guys, God bless.